listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Emily Collin, whose first novel, The Memory Thief, was a New York Times bestseller. Emily is also the author of several young adult novels, including her Seven Sins series, an action-packed dystopian adventure one of many enthusiastic fans described as sizzling hot and exploding with tension. Emily, anyone who can write a book that explodes with tension is my kind of guest. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Emily, this summer saw the release of Siege of the Seven Sins, and that's the second book in your young adult series, which is wild. I've read the first two, and readers are making comparisons between your series and The Hunger Games. Can you give listeners, though, a quick teaser or a description of the series? Absolutely. So um, The Seven Sins is my YA romantic dystopian series with some fantasy thrown in there as well. It's a genre mashup. And it is set in a world where citizens uh, live and die by the rules of the seven deadly sins. And so if they commit any infractions that embrace one of the sins, you know, lust, sloth, greed, all those good things, they are subject to dreadful punishments. And of course, lust is forbidden, and so is love. And uh, two of my main characters fall for each other, and hijinks ensue. In your promo copy for Siege of the Seven Sins, it asks readers the question, what risks would you be willing to take for love? But I wanted to ask you as the author, Emily, what risks would you be willing to take for love? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think of what risks I have taken for love in the past. Um, so in the past for love, what have I done? I've driven onto a um, barrier island to rescue someone in the middle of a hurricane. Um, that wasn't a very good one. Um, wait, wait, before you go on, did it turn out okay? It turned out great. Um, but yes, it was a little bit scary because I had just gotten a stick shift and I didn't really know how to drive stick. So that's one thing that I've done. Um, I think any time that you really put your whole heart and soul into something though, you know, you're really risking everything because you have no idea what's going to happen. You're basically handing someone your heart on a silver platter and saying, you know, please don't stomp all over it. Because if you do, I really have no recourse. And it requires this incredible level of trust in another human being. And I think that that was one reason why I found writing this series to be so alluring for me, because I'm really drawn to writing about the extremes in human nature. Um, I think that's one of my favorite things to write about. For me, with that little sizzling hot and exploding with tension, that sort of heartbeat is thrumming in the background of these books, no matter what else is going on on page, on screen. And it's one reason why I found them so much fun and continue to find them so much fun because there's one more to go. So in your series, you mix fantasy and sci-fi. And in those genres, I think writers have to be so adept at world building because if you screw it up, your readers are definitely going to call you on it. 
So I wondered, how did you go about establishing that universe for your two main characters, Eva and Ari? The Commonwealth in which they live is called the Commonwealth of Ashes. And this is not explicitly mentioned in the book, but it's set in Asheville, North Carolina. And so having been to Asheville many times and living now in North Carolina, I had that all the time in my mind as the backdrop for the Commonwealth. I, yeah, I thought of the trees in Asheville. I thought of the mountains. I thought of all of these components. And so that was my backdrop for the Commonwealth. And then when Eva and Ari leave the Commonwealth at one point, you know, they are moving across the ruins of America. And so I imagined what those ruins might look like. And I knew what path they were taking by foot because I had to see where they would wind up ultimately. And so I just thought about what iconic elements of America would remain that they might encounter. Um, and then when they got to the new place where they were going, that was really fun for me because I got to completely invent it. And um, I keep uh, Pinterest boards for my novels. And so what I did was, um, so I wouldn't mess up this new world that I was creating. I found photos online that mimicked what I wanted, say Eva's bedroom to look like in this new place or the great hall to look like in this new place. And I had them on my Pinterest board so that whenever I would write like anything set in those scenes, I just take a quick look at my Pinterest board so that I could be like, okay, so I'm not going to say one time that the bathroom is on the left, but really it's on the right or, or whatever. <laughs> and your that. readers would pick up on that. Oh, they would. They would. So I think it was a real blend. And then, you know, I read books like The Art of War. I read some books by the Freemasons, you know, about Freemason ritual. Like there's a reason that they call God the architect in the Commonwealth. Um, so it was putting a lot of different pieces together and hopefully creating a mood and also a contrast between the Commonwealth and the world outside of it. It's surprising, I'm sure, to readers how much goes in to writing a book like that series. You know, having read several of your books, it's quite clear you are a very skillful genre jumper, <laughs> meaning, of course, you have this series, but you also write women's fiction and you've written romance. I love this quote on your website. If it's got bantering, kissing, and at least a hint of the paranormal that's my jam. So I was wondering, Emily, if you were a reader and you were to just trying to describe a quintessential Emily Collin novel to other readers, what would you say? Well, you're right that I do jump genres, that's for sure, and ages. Um, and so one thing that all of my books have in common is there's always going to be a love story. I don't really like reading books that don't have love stories in them. Um, even if the love story is not the primary focus of the plot, I need a good love story in there. And then any book that you read of mine is always going to have a hint of the supernatural in some way, because I also love the supernatural. I think that something else too is characters that feel a deep connection to their emotions and their emotions really driving the plot. Um, in my romantic women's fiction, of course, I'm writing for an adult audience. And the two romantic women's fiction books that I've written, The Memory Thief and The Dreamkeeper's Daughter, they are also multiple points of view. I really love that. Maybe it's because I um, was a psychology major in college. I don't know. But hmm. I love the idea of taking the same situation and seeing it through other people's eyes. I love reading and writing books where one character thinks one set of things is going on based on only what they know and what they can see and what their experience is. 
but really and truly there's something else going on that the other character and the reader knows. And I love building tension in that way because I think we do so often as people misunderstand each other. And if only we could get out of our own way or away from our own insecurity, we would see a situation completely differently. But yeah, of course, that's so hard to do. Emily, anyone who has read your fiction, particularly your women's fiction, they know firsthand that you write these humdinger (laughs) romantic and sex scenes. Can you talk about the craft of writing love scenes? I actually teach a class called How Not to Win the Bad Sex Award. You mean in writing, of course. Yes, in writing. Well, when you're writing sex scenes, whether you're writing a romance novel per se, or whether you're just writing a book that has intimate or romantic scenes in it, One thing that I always say to people is make sure that in this scene that you're writing, it has a purpose. Like it cannot be, oh gosh, my characters haven't kissed in a while now. They should kiss or they need to do the deed. That'll keep people interested. Like that's no bueno. Like any intimate scene that you write, whether it's just kissing or whether it's more than that, should either teach you something new about the characters in the scene or it should move the plot along in some way. Um, That is one of my most basic tenets. So that's one thing. And another thing that I always think about is the idea of using at least three senses in a romantic scene or trying to use all of the senses. Like I think so often when people write romantic scenes, they focus on only what you can see or what you can feel, but you know, what you can smell. Like if it's a partner that you know, you maybe have been with for years and they always smell the same cologne or whatever it might be. It just brings that time of your life with this person back to you. So I really encourage people to use all of their senses. And then less is more to stay away from all of the cliches of the heaving bosom and the every other thing that like you're like, unnecessary. I think sometimes people get really afraid when they sit down to write kissing or intimate or sex scenes and they feel like their mother is hovering over their shoulder watching them type. So I try to tell them this is just like any other scene. You know, you're writing about sex, but the scene isn't really about sex. The scene is about your character's connection, just as they might connect through a fight or through a conversation or through a conflict. This is just another way of connection. That's so interesting. Thank you so much. So you're clearly a prolific writer and a teacher of writing. Also, one of your talents is that you work as an editor and a book coach. And I wondered, what is it like when you get a manuscript in hand and you're doing that first read through, what are you looking at in terms of how you start your review or your critique? A common beginner writer mistake is what we call head hopping where you are hopping between more than one character's perspective within a given scene without a clean break or delineation. So I'm looking for that for sure. I'm looking to make sure that the story starts in the right place for unstilted dialogue, dialogue that sounds like conversation that real people could have. I look for description that is naturally integrated. I mean, there's more, but those are some of the really big ones that I look for. No, there's always more. Hence the expression, every writer needs an editor. One of your clients who went on to be successful had this to say about your editing skills. In much the same way Michelangelo confronted a piece of marble, Emily Collin has the uncanny ability to look at an unpublished manuscript and discern its ultimate form. Emily, you've also taught workshops for authors published and you were a Pitch Wars mentor. And 
Man, oh man, I think so many writers, and this includes the best among us, we are stymied when it comes to trying to query or pitch our books. Can you help us out a little bit? What is the secret to writing a good pitch that will get the attention of an agent or an editor? I just started teaching a young adult class yesterday, actually. And the very first assignment that I give my students is to come up with what's called a log line for a book. And that's taken from the movie industry. So if you ever like are scrolling through the channels and you see like the one sentence description of a movie or a TV show, that's the log line. And it basically boils down to a formula. And the formula is this, um, when inciting incident happens to character, they must take action or face stakes right? So an example of that, I'm going to phrase this horribly um, because I don't have anything in front of me, but um, if you use the Hunger Games as an example, you know, you can rephrase that in some way. So, you know, in a world where teenagers must fight to the death on nationally televised reality TV, 16-year-old Katniss Everdeen volunteers to enter into the games in order to save her little sister's life. Something like that, you know, that is one of the very first things that I tell my students to do, and I would encourage anyone who's pitching to do, is you need to be able to drill down into the heart of your book. And it's really difficult to do that. You're like, that's just one sentence. How long could it take me to do that? <laughs> you know? But it's really hard. But if you can do that, then you've got a firm grasp on your inciting incident, and you've got a firm grasp on the, the stakes. Emily, I'm going to switch gears and ask you something related to inciting incidents in your own life. I read on your website that you organized a Coney Island tattoo and piercing show. Made me want to ask how many piercings you have, but I'm not going to. (laughs) You've hauled fish in the Florida Keys. You roamed New York City as an itinerant teenage violinist. I wondered, how do you think any or all of those life experiences informed your writing life? So I'm very easily bored and I'm also very curious. And one of my friends pre-pandemic when we could actually, you know, go places um, would always tease me because she could call me up and be like, hey, you want to go to the laundromat? And I'd be like, oh, sure. That sounds like fun. I think I've always been constructed as just wanting to see more, wanting to know more, um, constantly seeking new conversations, new connections, new experiences in whatever form I can get them and I'm very rarely bored because if something isn't easily available to me, like in my immediate purview, I will go after it and try and discover it. And so I think that's why I wasn't daunted by doing any of those new things, because as soon as the opportunity presented itself, I became you know, very curious and just wanted to see like, what's the worst that can happen? It'll be an adventure. Um, so I think that's how I function. And I think it really does inform how I write. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's bad. I think for people with those sorts of like wide open, what can I try next sort of attitudes, it can be hard for us to narrow things down. Um, But that's why I love writing in these two genres, because it gives me the opportunity to indulge that part of me. And why confine yourself? (laughs) Emily, I have one last question, which is if you were to write a six word memoir, what would it be? I think it would be um, bizarre and improbable, yet true nonetheless. Why did you pick that? Um, I had a friend who was a puppeteer and an artist at the organization that I used to work at, which did uh, arts programming for economically disadvantaged youth. I worked there for many, many years. And one of my teaching artists came up to me and she was like, Emily, you know, I don't know why, but I just decided to do your tarot spread yesterday. I was like, you what? My what? What did it say? Do I even want to know? 
And she was just looked at me like, and she had no idea what was going on in my life at this point, but in my life at that point, her circumstances completely out of my control. It was this total dumpster fire. And she said, you know, you're like a goat. I said, excuse me? And she said, it's like you're a goat at the bottom of a well. And people just keep dumping trash down the bottom of the well. And I was like, this is not sounding promising at all. Take it back. She's like, no, no. She's like, hear me out. And I was like, I don't think I want to. She's like, no, no, hear me out. She's like, the good news is most goats. I was like, so I'm the goat in the scenario. She's like, yes, you're definitely the goat. She's like, most goats would just be crushed by the weight of the garbage. But you are the kind of goat that like can figure out where the garbage is coming from once it's hit you. Stay out of the way and then build a mountain out of the trash and then climb out and be fine. She's like, the bad news is you're going to fall down another well. And I was like, you know, that is actually a very good (laughs) interpretation of my daily existence because both in terms of wonderful things happening to me um, and in terms of difficult things happening to me that are out of my control, that has always been my life. So I've just sort of embraced that. And I think that um, the really good thing about that is it's given me this plethora of life experience to draw from so that it helps me move through the world, but it also really helps me when I'm writing about my characters because, Mm -hmm. you know, I have this sort of wealth of both funny and ridiculous, but also really challenging experiences to draw from. And so for me, it it makes it easier to empathize with a, a wide range of human beings. And hopefully that makes it onto the page. Emily, I have to say this conversation it didn't have all the trademarks of your awesome books there's no kissing or paranormal (laughs) stuff but I so appreciate the banter and the stories and the insights that you have shared so I really want to thank you for this time and letting me and our listeners get to know you a lot better oh absolutely thank you for having me it was so much fun to have the chance to have this conversation Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Emily, her page turn on novels across genres, or her editing and book coaching services, please visit emilycollin.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.